Hello and welcome to the Canyons Are Calling podcast. I'm Charles, your host for the show. So a little bit of a delay in the podcast. I went to the Arizona rendezvous. I didn't realize how emotionally difficult it was going to be to not be able to do the canyons. And even though I was in one of probably the most beautiful places in the world at that moment because of the flowers and the cactuses and like everything was blooming and because of the moisture this year everything was just incredible and I had really great company it was really emotionally hard to physically not be able to do the canyons and uh, luckily my husband had talked me into bringing my gear with me and so I did one of the easier canyons not knowing that it was going to be a really brutal hike out and so I did I can't remember. I think the name was Hog Canyon. And we had to upclimb the drainage. And like the canyon itself was super beautiful. And I wasn't even sure with my hand, my wrist being what's going on with it, if I would be able to rappel and do the canyon. But I did. And then upclimbing the canyon was such a challenge. And my friends were super supportive in helping me. And like my husband walked with me the whole time and gave me tons of support. And it was just very, very painful. But I did it. And we just took a lot of time climbing out. And it was worth it. it was Every bit of pain was worth it. And then on Saturday, I thought that I could drive the group out to do Parker water slides. Par- they did Parker on Friday. Well, I just let my body rest. And then on Saturday, I thought I could drive them out to Waterside Canyons to save them this long, like hour and a half car shuttle after the canyon to get back. And I honestly did not realize what driving down a dirt road was going to do to my shoulder. So it really irritated my shoulder and physically messed my shoulder up for another like couple weeks. Um, I just finished a round of steroids And I can kind of feel it relaxing. I've also gotten some massage and physical therapy and just focusing on relaxing that nerve. But oh my God, guys, like make sure you are stretching like daily, like twice a day. Do yoga all the time because stretching and taking care of your body is so important. And when your body isn't working, your mind goes to a really bad place. And let me tell you, like, I'm not very easy to deal with sometimes because I'm so frustrated with my body and I'm so frustrated that I can't get into places that I love. And it's not easy. Uh, It's not easy to talk on the podcast about the canyons. It's not easy to see everybody having fun on Facebook. So not going to have a breakdown, but take care of your body, okay? Fucking take care of it. Because I wish I would have known earlier on that that is what was going to happen to me. Anyway, (laughs) I am not going to go into another downward spiral. We are here today to talk to Sam about his awesome new adventure with Wild Sky Adventure Guides. He is heading out to the Pacific Northwest, doing some guiding in the Pacific Northwest, as well as internationally. He's out in Mallorca doing some canyon guiding there, and he has this awesome challenge called the Madeira Canyon Challenge, where it helps like teenage kids learn to overcome their fears, get out into these wild places, build team building ex- you know, experiences like canyons do. And 
yeah, it's just a really neat program. So we talk about so much in this interview. We talk about Northwash in Utah. We talk about Pacific Northwest. We talk about Portugal, Spain, Mallorca, and the Madeira Challenge. Yeah, we just, we cover a lot. So it's a really awesome interview. I hope you enjoy it. Reach out to Sam if you're interested in traveling to any of the places that he guides in. Enjoy. Okay, so today I am here with Sam Keller, and he is with Wild Sky Guides. How are you doing today, Sam? Doing pretty good. Another day in paradise. Right. <laughs> Where are you at these days? I am in Moab, Utah. Um, I'm guiding down here all spring. I've been spending most of my days in the North Wash, uh, Blarney, and Leprechaun, and I've been doing a, quite a bit in Hogwarts this year because of the cold. How much have the North Wash Canyons changed this year with the weather? Um, actually, don't tell anybody, but they've been amazing. Um, we've had a lot of cold <laughs> days, and there's more water in them than usual, but it's like ankle-deep water. The North Wash Canyons tend to drain pretty quick, so it's okay. been quite nice. Has the water moved anything around or changed anything in the canyons? Yes, actually. Um, ever since I started canyoneering, there's been a chalk stone at the bottom of Leprechaun. So I like to think of the bottom of Leprechaun as like three parts. You've got like a long corridor, and then you've got a crawl underneath some rocks, and you've got another long corridor. So right at the very beginning of that crawl, there's always been a chalk stone, uh, like 12, 13 feet high, and it's holding up a flake. And this spring, in one of the rain events, that toxone fell and the flake actually fell and opened. So it's stable. Um, as far as I can tell, I've looked at it. I've kind of banged on a little bit. It's a stable situation, but it is a change in the canyon that is pretty wild because I've definitely stood on that chalk stone maybe a hundred times. It's always wild to go through a canyon when that happens and be like, where did that rock go? It was the size <laughs> Well, it's right at your feet. It just fell straight down and stood yeah. there, stayed there. Okay. Huh. Interesting. I've only done middle leprechaun one time, so. Oh. Well, that's the best one. So you, you did your job right. Right. I try to just either go big or go home yeah. <laughs> when I can. <laughs> but we did get to that middle section and we were like, we weren't sure if we were supposed to go under or over the boulders that were there. And we're kind of confused. And then. Luckily, we heard some people and they were like, oh, yeah, you do this and this and this and walked us through it, which yeah. is kind of weird. But it's both ways yeah. go. Both ways are actually really fun. OK, nice to know. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to go back. And well, I those tight canyons. Are, yeah, they're an experience. Yeah. They're like for the not faint of heart. <laughs> they are work. I like the Leprechaun because it's accessible just like at the limit of accessible for a lot of people. So it pushes them out of what I like to call like the green zone and into the yellow zone. But then through the action of having done the canyon, that green zone expands and now they're more comfortable with something that at the beginning of the canyon would have freaked them out. That's true. And it's a pretty basic canyon, even though it's very tight. Yeah. Yeah. But a good time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All those canyons are amazing. I need to get out there more often. Yeah, I think, you know, like, in the Southwest, I think my favorite canyons are in the North Wash and the Swell. What are your favorite canyons in the Swell? 
I take laundry direct. I hear great like, things. Number about one. Laundry. Yeah, we guide zero gravity, um, and I really like zero gravity. And then, you know, like if you're out there in Goblin Valley, there's a pretty cool, you know, like the Goblin's Lair. It's not like a real canyon necessarily, but I think it's so cool and pretty and unique. And so yeah, I'll call it a canyon. We did the we did the uh, Goblin's Lair when we were out there. It was, I mean, definitely worth doing. Yeah, for sure. It's a fun day. And then there's like that little pocket where all this cold air comes out of that you can crawl back in a little bit. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Quandary. I think so. Like for Southwest canyons, my favorites, I think, are the slots. And then I really like pothole escapes. So Quandary ticks that off the list. Well, you do canyoneering not only in Utah, but you go all over the world. So let's talk about some of your favorite canyons worldwide. All right. Well, my number one favorite canyon in the world, um, it's kind of lucky, is right by my house. So I live most of the year in Mallorca, which is an island off the coast of Barcelona or Valencia. And this island is really beautiful. It's not that big. It takes about an hour to drive across, but it has this mountain range called the Sierra Tramontana. And inside of the Sierra Tramontana, there are, it's got to be like, 70 or 80 canyons a lot of them aren't aren't allowed to run but this one is called safoska and safoska is the lower portion of what another canyon called gorge blau so the blue canyon and they say you know i don't know if this is true but they say it's the longest canyon in spain or in europe you know I'm not sure it's true and but it's super pretty uh, a lot of like technical jumps in the upper section so you've got like a hall of mirrors where you've got a thin corridor, but it's like twisted a little bit. So when you jump, you have to jump kind of perfectly angled and land really, really like perfect. Uh -huh. um, and then in the lower section, you've got 550 or so meters or about 18, 1600 feet of pitch black darkness. So it's kind of like a leprechaun, a little wider than the leprechaun but with like a river running through it and pitch black. Wow. And then the vibe is kind of like Costa Rica with like hanging green gardens, you know, you feel very mm -hmm. tropical, even though you're in the middle of like a arid Mediterranean environment. Wow. Yeah. And then it finishes in, in this other canyon called Torrente Parais, which is a canyon of paradise, I guess. And you can walk to the Mediterranean sea from there. Um, you're, it's like, 300 meters deep, the Torrente Parais. So it's big walls, really pretty. Um, boulder hopping, it's like a pretty basic canyon. But the con like combining all of them is amazing. That's Highly recommended. Sounds incredible. Yeah, if anybody ever comes to Mallorca, which people do all the time, um, you definitely should do Salfosca. What like, is the best time of year to go there for the canyons? Uh, luckily... It's like late fall, winter, spring. Um, we have no canyoneering in the summer. Like don't, it's like horribly hot and not canyon season at all. <laughs> but like starting depending, so it's really unpredictable, right? Cause they're rain fed canyons. So they're called torrents because they're seasonal, right? They only flow when there's rain <laughs> or snow. And so like, Sometimes October, like late October, some of the canyons will be having will have some water, and then depending on when the rains come, usually like November, December, 
you can have like some pretty significant flows and just a really fun time. And like Safoska isn't the only one. There's like Torrentes Yi has like this beautiful 60 meter rappel through a waterfall where you're kind of like riding the waterfall down the rappel to this big pool at the bottom. And it's really pretty. You can end at the sea and eat some paella. Um, we've got Mortich, which is a really cool canyon out there. And it's a little shorter, like a long approach, a couple hours. And then it's a short canyon to the sea again. Um, and then you hike out of Via Ferrata that's just super exposed, like beautiful views of like this aquamarine Mediterranean sea. Just a really amazing day. So those I'd say are my three favorites. That sounds really, really incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's world-class, especially Safoska. Safoska is like the one, people come from all over the world to do it. It's, I mean, it's amazing. It's, I've never done a canyon like it. Dave, we're going there for Christmas this year. Yeah, write that down. <laughs> it's great in Christmas. Yeah. Like it's uh, like I, every year on New Year's, I guide like a, like a New Year's trip when we do a canyon and it's a really great way to like begin the year or end the year depending on the day yeah it's never a bad year to end or begin in a canyon for sure yeah yeah <laughs> it's kind of like that uh i don't know what like tom does the, the polar the freeze bear fest. yeah freeze fest oh. <laughs> it's like that but not as cold it's not like black hole style cold yeah i'm not into the black hole freezing yeah, they, somebody told me it's, they described it as a bad idea that caught on. Right. Yeah, that's what it says on the website. I'm just like, yeah, that's it is a bad idea. I just don't do cold, and they're like swimming in icicles and stuff. So, like Wim Hof in it. Yeah. Well, it's like yeah, canyoning in Mallorca is definitely cold, right? Yeah. It's a warm place. It's like usually kind of sunny out, but the water never gets the sun, and a lot of the time it's like filtering through the mountains or like snow melt right. and see, so yeah, it's cold. So you're wearing thick wetsuits and water. Yeah. I usually wear like a, a surfing base wetsuit with like a layer of fleece underneath it. And then like a sealand wetsuit on top of that. And then wow. I'm just cold. How long? Gotta like, was that? How long are the canyons? Uh, so, the worst time I've ever had in a canyon was a time that it took us 10 hours to do Gorge Blau Safoska. Okay. Um, but generally, it's about four hours. Okay. So yeah. you're not, like, freezing all day? Yeah. Really? It's kind of an ideal time. And, like, no. Safoska has Pasta Enduro, which is a Via Ferrata descent to, like, where Gorge Blau meets oh. Safoska. So it's the exit if there's too much water. Or it's the entrance if you want to, if there's no water in Gorge Blau, because Salfosca carries water after Gorge Blau is already dry. Hmm. Yeah, the nice thing about Salfosca is it's generally got water in the winter, um, even if everything else is dry. It's reliable. Are the canyons still okay when they're dry? If you don't like glassy or just not as often? Yeah, they're fun. I mean, they have Torrent and Sick, which is dry canyons. And there's some really good ones. Um, like I do, I like one that's called Cesolibes. So it's amazing when it's, when it's flowing, but it's really nice and really pretty when it's, when it's not flowing. 
and then but usually what happens is they get really slippery because mm. um, there's like still mold and algae growing on it and so it's it's not ideal when it's dry they just usually don't dry out 100 percent. right that makes sense so what is the madeira challenge so the madeira canyon challenge is this idea that i had i did my guide training in portugal Right. So I went to the International Canyoning Academy and I did a direct access into their program as an experienced guide. I was allowed to do that. And I took their like assistant guide, their whitewater module and their lead guide module. And while I was there, I just fell in love with the canyons out there, which are also amazing, like granite or basalt, like amazing, beautiful canyons and just a really cool country with great culture and, you know, all these cool things. And while I was there, I started talking to this guy, Pedro Souza, everybody calls Souza, who's the president of ICA. And we came up with this plan for the Madeira Canyon Challenge. And it's essentially a week long wilderness risk management and leadership seminar for high school kids. So we take groups of up to 20, we could do more, but so far 20 is our max. And we teach them how to canyoneer. Right. So we start with a dry day and on the dry day, we teach them all the different, you know, the knots, how to hook up to the rope, you know, in whitewater canyoning, a lot of time you need to repel to like an exposed anchor or do a handline to an exposed anchor. So we teach them how to do that. On day two, we take them to a, what we call a level one Canyon. Um, it's usually a cold Canyon. Um, this last trip we did, it was called cold river. So you can make your own conclusions about that. <laughs> And we just teach them, we kind of like, you know, that's where the rubber hits the road. So that's where they learn to hook up in real life. Um, they do their own repels. We're in guide mode, right? There's one to five guide to client ratio. And so we're in guide mode, moving them through a canyon, just like any other client. But we let them hook up and we, you know, we're always watching. And we let them repel and we're giving them a bottom belay. Um, and they move through the canyon. It's cold. Like we, that's the day that they learn to like move through a little bit of suffering, right? Um, because that's, we, we're trying to use this experience as a way to teach them different values on resiliency and grit and just the value of moving through struggle, right? We're really trying to teach them that like resistance to your goals is not like a sign that your goals aren't worthwhile. You know, the, the resistance is just the fee to reach what you need to achieve your goals and so we use that suffering as a lesson of like yeah it's cold but deal with it right Um, and then on day three we let them set up the repels Um, they do everything on day three right so they yeah they set up the ropes for repel they repel they learn they learn how to bottom belay and they do the bottom belay Um, so they do all the things um, on day three and that's just a day for them to gain confidence in themselves and also in each other, right? Yeah. That's the day they really bond as a team. And then on day four, we have, it's like the performance phase begins. So we take them to a big rappel, right? 60 meters, like 180 feet, 200 feet. And with a waterfall, like, so they have to rappel to the edge to hook up to do the big rappel. And, you know, they it's that exposure, right? We're really yeah. trying to, expose them to the exposure and it's wild like they just some some minds explode a little bit but 
because we've used, like created this scaffolding where they start at like a dry day with like a 20 foot um, like rock climbing wall. Yeah. Then we move to like basic rappelling. And then we've learned to like, we moved up to like, this is how you set it up. This is how everything works. By the time they get to the big rappel, they're like, this is scary, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. Right. Right. Because we really try another lesson that we try to teach is the difference between scary and dangerous. Right. Yeah. So in so many parts of our lives, the the risk has been removed. So scary is thought of as dangerous. And so by exposing them to something that is scary, but not necessarily dangerous, it's like a really like this really like firm line of the difference is imprinted in their minds yeah. and that in that moment. And so they all did the rappel in this last trip. Um, and it was scary, right? They, they had some moments, but they really pushed. I was really proud of them actually. Um, you know, these are kids from, you know, in this case, they were from Chicago, right? And they'd never done anything like this before. And then three days, four days later, they're repelling a 60 meter waterfall, you know? And then we just have fun with them. We kind of take them through the rest of the can. We finish with a zip line and uh, our guided repel, excuse me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's like for them, usually that's everybody's favorite day because it's like that big, scary obstacle, right? Mm -hmm. They move through it. So, you know, we always, we, we try to teach them a little bit of stoic philosophy, right? So we always say like the obstacle is the way. And so we, we taught them like, you moved through your fear you have conquered this obstacle and they always feel it's like smiles just smiles for the rest of the day um and then on day five that is the madera canyon challenge this year uh, it was vimiero in madera and that is back to back to back like 60 meter repels it's a big day so you're doing multi like fractional multi-pitch repels you're um you know, small repels, big repels, lots of repels. It's cold. Maybe it's windy. We're a little higher up. So it's just a big day, right? And that's the day of you know, where the, every single thing that they learned is put to the test over and over and over again. And the ironic thing is they usually finish that day faster than the day before, right? Because by then it's old hat, right? Yeah. They've conquered that and fear and they've got the confidence to just go at it. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's just a, you know, it's a really cool idea. My background's in like environmental education. I worked with a lot of kids in the States before I moved to Mallorca. And it's just always something I've wanted to do. I've always felt really strongly that kids need to be exposed to things that scare them and things that are hard for them. Like we've kind of got, I think that they suffer from this kind of epidemic of like snowplow society not necessarily parents but society is just snow plowing obstacles out of their way and making them you know and that it's 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 not to their benefit sometimes and so this is a way to very control you know what like we're some of the most experienced guides um in portugal that are doing it so i'm there and i've got you know Souza, and then i've got two other guides that are incredibly um experienced and incredibly safety conscious so you know we start from that position of safety um because you know if you don't have safety you don't have anything right and then we expose them to these things that you know are real these are like real emotions and we tell them like don't hide from it like move through it 
experience the fear and then you know it and yeah that's that's the madera canyon challenge and i handle all of the logistics right so like anybody that does the madera canyon challenge any school group like we handle the tickets we handle the food we handle the lodging um any problems that come up you know you've always got we've always got your back and um yeah we just make it easy for you know teachers are overworked right so we make it easy for them to do it and then um they also have a great time like as a teacher you really want to show these students what is possible and what's out there and it's not always the easiest thing to do in the classroom and so this is a, something that can kind of work with the classroom to benefit the students uh, well i know my kids learn better outside of the classroom they had a real struggle like sitting at the desk and yeah doing the thing so outside doing you know touching feeling is how they learn best so yeah well and like some things aren't meant to be learned in the classroom you know we put a lot of pressure on teachers as well yeah um, like my parents are both teachers and i have a lot of family that's teachers and i see like they're expected yeah. to teach so many things that are just not something that's very easy to teach while you're sitting down yeah and we try to make it affordable like it's like way cheaper than most travel experiences so well, if there's a teacher listening or like a parent that wants to get their kid involved in something like this like how do they reach out to you and sign up to do this challenge because i feel like if i would have been exposed to something like this when i was in high school it would have saved me a lot of other struggles that i dealt with later yeah i mean that's <laughs> the idea that's the hope is that we kind of like jump past the like wasting a lot of time to learn something and just like you now learned it yeah. but if you want to get in touch you can get in touch with me at sam at wildskyguides.com um, we're on instagram at wildskyguides wild under slash sky under slash guides um and yeah google as well so we're easy to find <laughs> awesome and they can learn that more about that Midori challenge because that sounds amazing yeah, and we've got, uh, like, we're really lucky in that we have a professional videographer working for us. So um, when a class does this trip, like, they don't have to worry about taking pictures or videos because we've That's got... That's a distraction, you know, so they can just focus on yeah, learning and getting exactly. through the day. That's awesome. Yeah, so we produce thousands of video uh, pictures and then a 90-second video every day. And then at the end of the trip, we produce, like, a six to ten minute like recap of everything and that's something that we do at included it's no extra charge and it's also a way that we protect the privacy of the students right so we when whenever we as a company have like video of the students or pictures of the students like we don't publish any identifiable information right because we want to protect their privacy online as well because these are like real emotions and big things and we don't want right we want to make people feel good and look good as well that's awesome yeah and it's a way like it's really hard to communicate so like imagine you're a teacher and you go to an administrator they're like you want to do what so we have this video to help the teacher communicate like i want to do this yeah this is money well spent the kids will come back changed and challenged and in reformed in, in ways and it's, it's a safety conscious activity as well like people yeah. think like oh heights but like 
anybody who canyoneers knows that the most dangerous day, part of a canyoning day is like the drive home. Most of the time, for sure. Yeah. When you're paying attention to what's going on. I, yeah. Uh, well, like by probability. Yeah, for sure. So we kind of just blowed over the canyons in Portugal. Let's talk a little bit more about those. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> wow. So it's Portugal you've got in the north, right? Porto. And then the surrounds, like uh, Lorido, I think, is like base camp, you know, center of the universe of, of Portugal canyoning. And um, that's where ICA, the International Canyoning Academy, is based. And the canyons there are really cool. So you've got, like, just to give everybody a, like the idea of the wider area, you've got Porto in the north of Portugal. And then Lorido is right at the edge of Peninjeres. Uh, national monument or national park, excuse me. And that is just this huge, beautiful canyon paradise, tons of canyons, like big mountains, wolves there. Um, I haven't seen them, but supposedly there's wolves and just like big repels, big water, um, granite, really beautiful granite, great rock climbing as well. Um, and just really, it's right next to Galicia as well. So you can pop into Spain and there's like big water canyons there. Like there's just tons of canyons everywhere. Like, and it's all really pretty. Like it's all very natural and beautiful. So awesome. what, uh, what time of year is good to go there? Uh, spring, you can get like the water pumping a little bit. Um, summer is amazing. Um, like perfect in summer. And then fall is, is good until like maybe late October. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's, there's too much water. <laughs> well, <laughs> that could be an issue for sure. Yeah. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit more about the International Canyoning Academy. Cool. Yeah. I love those guys. They're awesome. Um, it's an English, so they're Portuguese. They speak Portuguese, but it's an English uh, friendly company or actually it's not a company it's like a nonprofit, and so they can teach courses in english they have all of their materials in english as well and they are an offshoot of what's called the cic or it used to be the cec which is uh the original kenyan guide certification scheme in europe um and so they've got a long history even though like Ika's young like 2018 i believe but their legacy is is quite is quite long like into the 90s um and they're just great guys. They, they're safety conscious. Uh, you know, they've got a really strong like safety program and developing new techniques and changing their curriculum, updating with the times. And uh, they teach several classes in amazing locations year round. Awesome. Yeah. When did you do your training with them? I did my training in 2021. It was June and July. Nice. Yeah. So I did like a direct access. So anybody who is a Canyon guide and is interested, you're eligible for what's called direct access. So you can learn their rope techniques in a, in a, in like a course, you can learn their whitewater techniques, and then you can learn their lead guide techniques um, and their soft skills kind of stuff. Whereas if you aren't a guide, you don't have like work experience, you have to take a year in between the two courses to get experience with working underneath somebody else. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It so it's like the 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 techniques course is really an aux, aux, auxiliar guide 
so a, a co-lead or a co-guide, an assistant guide, I guess you'd say in English. Um, and so you're working under a lead guide for a year, and then you get the, the experience base to to become a, a lead guide. So what have you found the main difference between guiding in Europe and guiding in America? Anchors. They do not have a problem bolting, um, which is why I, I, I try not to put myself in the middle of it. You know, I know in the U.S. there's <laughs> it's like this big Pandora's box. And I my opinion is kind of in the middle, but um, they have a lot of bolted anchors, They're a little too much, but a lot. So they're they're they've kind of got in Europe, you've got these large um, federations, right, that are kind of create these clubs of canyoneers. And so you've kind of got like a bolting by committee um, going on. Okay. And so, like for example, Safoska and Gorge Blau. Over the last winter, the Balearic Canyoning, the Federation, IFBME, um, they went in and they rebolted everything. They did a pretty good job, like uh, a lot of bolts, but like well placed for like different flows. And um, yeah, a lot of bolts. <laughs> like huh. I was actually really surprised but they did a good job and it was a committee that did it right so they drew up a plan they wrote it all out and then they did it and it was you know uh the different guides on the you know the guides are certified through them and so the different guides on the island they all went through and they helped out and the ones especially uh that were studying at the time so i have a friend that did a lot of the bolting and cutting so it's, it's different it's definitely a different, and then also they use semi-static ropes. So they tend to make fractional repels versus, or excuse me, multi-pitch repels versus like one big repel on a long static line. Okay. Yeah. And it's because, you know, they were operating inside of like a European Union, like legal framework. And so they need to meet fall protection standards um, because they're in like a more, they're, they're existing inside of a more legalistic, like bureaucratic framework that instead of like a lot of times in the States, like the land managers know who we are and know what we do in general, but don't necessarily understand, wouldn't know how to tell us to do the things, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't mean that the European legal framework is better because also those bureaucrats don't understand it either but it's different it's definitely different do you feel like it's a more respected career choice over there than over here no i think that it's here it's better better paid um maybe i've just felt always really well respected by my clients and by my my <laughs> employer um and i maybe living in utah i'm like a little bit like separated from like the like mom back in New York that's like, what are you doing with your life? Right. But yeah, but no, I think <laughs> it's, I think it's well-respected in the States. Like I've been lucky in my life to work for two really good organizations in Utah. I've worked for Zion Adventure Company and I've worked for Moab Canyon Tours and both of those are excellent employers. Yeah. 
I feel like when I quit my job with a corporate pharmaceutical company to like work for Zion Outfitter, my mom was like, what are you doing with your life? (laughs) Like, you're going to be a dirtbag. What? And I was like, I'm going to like, Walgreens doesn't care about me as a person. I'm assistant manager making not shit for money. They're going to replace me in no time. And I get to be at the base of Zion talking to people about the Narrows every day. Like, my soul's going to be happy. And then from yeah. there, I went, you know, moved over to Kanab and was guiding for a little while. And she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Did you work for Always? No, I worked for a company called Seldom Seen Adventures. They don't exist anymore. It kind of merged with Kanab Tour Company. Okay. Um, Always wasn't around at that time. They're actually my neighbors. <laughs> I love Jillian them. and Nathan. They're awesome. Yeah, they're they're great. Yeah, he was uh, working for Eric at um, I think Red Desert or something at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I knew him, he was working there too. Yeah, so I started but, working for Tom after my job was seldom seen went south, and been managing yeah. Emily for eight years, nine years. Yeah, long time. <laughs> and I do feel like there are definitely more guide companies now, and it is a more common thing in the United States to have like hire guides and be a guide. Um, since I have not been a guide, so I should maybe try it again sometime. You're starting a company in Washington? Uh, yes, I am. Yes, I have actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So wild sky is based, wild sky adventure guides is based in Washington state. Um, that's where I was born. I was born in OMAC uh, on the East side. I grew up, went to school in Snohomish County, graduated college in Seattle at UW. And I've just always kind of come back there. You know, I used to work leading trips for the SCA, the Student Conservation Association. Um, I worked for Bold Gold, the Boys and Girls Outdoor Leadership Development Mountain School. Um, So I just have deep ties to that community. And, you know, I've always like looked up there at the beautiful canyons that they have. And I go back and I do like some climbing, some canyoning, like, and I was just like, no, this is, we've got to do this. You know, like that community deserves um, like a, to be served. So um, I decided this last September I was camping in Wild Sky Wilderness, which is a wilderness. Uh, It's this beautiful wilderness area right next to Index, um, which is a kind of climber's paradise. And I was kind of, there's actually a really cool cane like right there. Um, But I was thinking about it. And I just was like, you know, I want to come back here every summer with my kids. And I want my kids to get the same experience growing up as I did. Um, I want them to be able to spend their summers camping. I want to be taking people to see these really cool places. And I kind of want to do like these like miniature, like Madera Canyon challenge in Washington. So um, I am guiding right now. It's just in the Seattle area. I hope to like, maybe, you know, I don't know where I'll go, but I'd like, you know, I'm, I'm based in like Skagit County and then King County. Um, so I just want to take people out to these really cool places, show them canyoning techniques, help promote like the safe practice of canyoneering in that community. Cause it's a growing community. It's going to run into those same roadblocks and same problems that have plagued other communities of canyons like like access to bolt canyons or to put in natural anchors or to walk across 
private public land. And the safer we are, the less injuries there are, the more access we'll have. I'll be in the Snoqualmie area. I'm really excited um, for Dingford Creek. That is gonna be awesome. So I'll be there a lot this summer, I hope. Um, and then, yeah, I've got some stuff in uh, just outside of Seattle as well. I really want to get it back up that way. I lived there for like six months in, I don't know, 93, 94. <laughs> but actually, no, it would have been 95, 96, yeah. Anyway, that dates me. Yeah. But <laughs> I wasn't into hiking then, and now I am. Yeah. So, like, I never made it to Rainier. I never made it to the Olympics. I never made it to Cascades, so... I guided a really cool mountaineering trip with Bold and Gold. Well, I guess it was Bold, the boys, Outdoor Leadership Development Mountain School, where we took them for like two, we did the two-week approach to Mount Olympus, wow. right? So the assumption was that they wouldn't be strong enough to climb the mountain straight off. So we just took like a really roundabout <laughs> approach. Okay. It took us like 11 <laughs> days to get to the base of Mount Olympus. Wow. And by then they were strong, and coherent, you know, and it's that same thing I'm talking about with the Madera Canyon Challenge. Like they'd overcome obstacles. They'd come together as a group. They'd worked as a team and we summited Mount Olympus and it was awesome. You know, these like 12, 13, 15, 16 year old kids. I think 13 was the youngest age. That's awesome. I mean, it's such a life changing experience for so many of those kids. Yeah. Well, just, you know, they need that. Um, they don't know it yet. A lot of times there's some initial resistance, but then they, they're like, oh, actually, this is really fun. Yeah. I can't wait to get my grandkids out. They're getting to be about that age where I can take them yeah. for a week and show them some nature. Yeah, my oldest is three and my youngest is one. And so it's very much like, you know, you, you want to transmit your, to your kids like your values. Mm -hmm. And I find that nature is the easiest and most effective way to transmit those values to my children. Um, because, you know, that's, that's what we do all this for. Right. Yeah. And I found with my grandkids are just easier to manage when my daughter gets them outside. Like, yeah, that too. Yeah. Like she just has a better day because <laughs> the kids are having fun. So yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Kids should be outside more, I think. Yeah, for sure. And also adults. Like there's this like theory, yeah. I see it all over the place. Like, oh, you're an adult or you're a parent. Like, oh, now you've got to calm down and like not do stuff. It's like, actually, that's not true. That's not accurate. Right. Like, I really think like this is a family activity. Like we've developed trips for families. And like, so the youngest the kids can be is 12, right? Just because water, moving water. But, um, you know, this is a great family activity as well. Like canyoning is, a, is for everyone. It's a family-friendly activity. Yeah. And so I really hope to take out a lot of families this, this summer. For sure. Um, and just, you, you know, it builds bonds and builds memories and creates a stronger family. I agree with that 100%. Some of my favorite. I mean, like when I was guiding, my favorite days were just, it wasn't the money I was making. It was watching the people transform through the canyons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, tomorrow so I'm taking out some little kids, and I'd love those. Those are my favorite. Like, it's a pretty easy day from my perspective, but for them, it's just this we like repelled, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> oh my god, I often tell this story about this lady. I thought her name was Tony for the longest time, but she was three, her brother was five, and she was the coolest kid I've ever 
like repelled with. I remember at the end of the day, I was like, will you trade me for my teenager? Because <laughs> she's amazing. But every repel, she was like, can we do it again? Can we do it again? And if her brother climbed, she was like climbing higher. And I was like, she's the coolest. And after like 10 years, I reconnected with the family over Facebook. It's yeah. so cool to see how like big she has gotten. And her name's actually not Tony. <laughs> but yeah, and they're still like, in the wilderness and doing all these amazing things and i feel like yeah just it's really cool to get your kids outside so yeah. good for you guys you wanted to talk about clean canyoneering in the southwest um, it's a bit it? of a controversial topic it is <laughs> i come I, I guess i want to say like i come in peace <laughs> everybody i just think that you know if you think about the timeline of american canyoneering right like maybe in like the 70s was like the first generation. I'm not sure, you know, you gotta get Ram on. Uh, I know, I wish Ram would come on. I'm gonna reach out again. Yeah, Ram and Jenny, you know, that was the first generation and Tom, of course. Yeah. And then you got the second generation of Canyoneers and I kind of identify with like maybe the third, I think in my mind, maybe I'm wrong. But now we're into the fourth generation of Canyoneering. And if you look at the volume of people moving through canyons and who they are, there's a lot of rope grooves and problems that are developing in our canyons. Yeah. And so like Yvonne Chouinard, right? He published this essay for rock climbing, calling for a clean climbing revolution. And I think like as a community, we really need to think about ways that we need to change our behavior to create this like clean canyoning revolution. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to tell people what to do, but I am telling people what I've seen. And so I guide Leprechaun every year and I've watched it turn into it's still an amazing canyon. It's still quite like pristine and beautiful, right? But I've watched the rope grooves grow. I've watched the erosion grow. I've watched, you know, a lot of things happen. And mm -hmm. I think we need to think about ways that we can stop pulling our ropes um you know i think that it's past time you know it's just like in rock climbing like so i i do or i did now i'm a dad i don't do it anymore a lot of aid climbing in zion right and some hammer aid but once a route went clean you you put your hammer away and you did clean aid climbing right as a way to minimize the impact on the rock and we need to think about ways that we can do that like the number one way is the fiddlestick one of the things i'm really proud about in the company i work for in Moab, um, is it 90% of their repels, they're using a fiddlestick. Nice. The fiddlestick, I think people need to like, kind of take that aura of like advanced technique and like maybe call it a standard technique and think about, you know, the impact that we're having. Yeah. Even, and like also like so many, I find myself in so many silly situations because we're trying to pull our ropes without making grooves. So I'm like stepping off a 60 meter repel so I can like set up to repel over the edge, right? I'm like clipped in obviously. Right. So that the webbing can go all the way over, right? So that the right. rope can go over the edge. Yeah. So here I'm hanging off of a cliff, like getting everything right. ready to go. Switching over. You know, and like moving down these like really long webbing chains. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of freaky worse. as the last person to do. Like, yeah. It takes some practice and, and some skill. Yeah. And like there's ways to... Yeah set up a fiddlestick like with lapar so that it's backed up for everybody that goes it's the rope cinching down on the fiddlestick and then you know the last person is on the open system 
but they're being like very cognizant and mm. they it's like uh just as safe as pulling your ropes i would argue that in many ways it's safer than a beaner block because you're not going to be hooking up to the wrong side of the rope because you've right. got two different you isolated have one ropes. side that you can hooked up to that's yeah that's true you and know, everybody like, else could go on a carabiner on a stone knot and then really just the last two or three people go yeah. on the stick itself if you have a big group. You know, I'd use the fill six thousands of times and it's a great system. Um, so it's just something that I personally believe strongly in. Um, that Not that I necessarily believe that everybody should fiddle stick all the time. And that's the only way. Right. But I think that we need to start thinking about our impact on canyons, especially desert southwest canyons that get rope grooves like a knife through butter. Right, sandstone is super soft and it definitely erodes really fast. Um, another thing is just the angle of how you're pulling, right? So if you're just right at the bottom of the rappel pulling, that's going to cause a lot of friction where if you step back a couple of feet and you're pulling from a different angle, it might not rub at all. Yeah. And so I've tried to get my team that I go with to, you know, when we are using the anchors to step back a little bit. Yeah, that's actually the idea. You know, these are the small things that we can all do to make it, you know, to make, you know, because this is, if this is the fourth generation, like, and we're seeing like increased use, like what about the fifth? Yeah. I mean, there's that you one repel and spry they call the comb because it's, yeah. so, you know, <laughs> and I know like they moved, know the repel, yeah. they moved um, some of the anchors that they could in spry to help mitigate that. But yeah, if more people were using, that's such a sandy canyon. Yeah. And once the sand gets on your rope, you're just doing sandpaper on sandpaper and just totally, yep. totally eroding. <laughs> I mean, you can go through one rappel device in that yeah. canyon alone and it will be destroyed if you're not careful. That takes some time to learn, though. <laughs> yeah. See, I guess all I have to say about that is just to everybody, like, we should all be more aware of our impact. Like, we think mm -hmm. that we're not making an impact because we're moving through it once but if you were to come back over and over and over you would see that we all have a pretty big impact that compounds and, and it's not just the rope grooves it's also like the erosion like i watched like popular areas lose its crypto um right you know i'm like, it's important. like i just listened to this other person be like there's a lot of crypto around so you can just walk all over it and it's like i don't i mean crypto holds nutrients it holds the seeds in place so things can grow like you should really try to minimize your impact on the crypto you should really try to take game trails you should really try to stay off the crypto yeah there's a lot of crypto now right yeah we like to say you probably heard this that it grows by the inch but dies by the foot right and it's really important for the desert so if you don't understand why you should not bust the crust just research why it's there and how important it is and then decide if you want to just trample it or not because your grandkids won't be able to see it. Rant over on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the fiddlestick, so. <laughs> How about the sand trap and the wanker? Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since I've used a sand trap, but I like sand traps as well. I do skills days sometimes out here and we'll like fill the sand trap and then have people repel and then we'll have people at the top watching as we like deploy the sand traps so we can watch like both angles of it. It's kind of fun. Anyway. Yeah, I had the pleasure of being taught uh, how to use a sand trap and the water trap by Jenny West. And that was a pretty cool experience in my life. I love Jenny. I wish she would get on and tell us some of her old stories. She's awesome. Maybe she later. like, I went on a pretty big trip with her with Zion Adventure Company. And it was just like, I was just like, wow, 
she's like a like a Katie Lee to me. Yeah. Just like this super like badass awesome person. Super humble. She's cool. Yeah. My first experience with a sand trap was with Tom. Oh nice. And Wonderpel, he didn't have us feel it quite enough. I don't know if that was a test or an accident. But he dropped a couple feet and I dove onto the sand trap. And we had it backed up, but there was only three of us. Yeah. So then one of the two of us have to go next. And it's like, which one is more heavy? <laughs> like we're both about the same size. Yeah. So that was kind of a scary ordeal, but we all made it. We're fine now. Yeah, the sand trap, it's uh it's one of those techniques, you know. You gotta be that lapar and yeah. with three people that's a little harder. I can see where where that problem came. But yeah. It's really cool. It's a really cool technique. It is. And I say just overfill it if you're in doubt because <laughs> I don't know. Then you might have to. Because it's holding you up. It, right? <laughs> <laughs> Your life's on the line. <laughs> but I did hear a story where some people overfilled it and they couldn't get it back down. So that is a problem yeah. too. There's like a happy medium. Yep. For sure. Practice before you go out. Yeah. I think it's kind of like how I think about friction settings. Like you start high and you work down low. Yeah. Right. You move down. So, you know, you fill it overfill and then when somebody goes, you take a little off and then some, you know, kind of try to sequence it by weight or by, you know, cause like, it's more like how heavy they repel than necessarily weight. Right. Yeah. You definitely want to do soft starts on those. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, you, about the canyons, about the Southwest, excuse me, about the Southwest. Yeah. Or just canyoning in general. Uh, I just love the Southwest and Utah is beautiful. Arizona is amazing. Utah rocks. Yeah, it's just uh, don't tell anybody. Full, <laughs> don't come here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I actually started a like a very facetious has hashtag called Utah sucks. Don't come. Nice. So, I mean, when yeah. I was growing up as a little kid, like I couldn't wait to get out. Yeah. And then I moved away, and I was like, you know, Utah's not that bad. <laughs> it's beautiful scenery. Yeah, it is. So, what are some of your favorite pieces of gear that you carry with you? When I'm canyoning and I'm using semi-static ropes, I really like the shunt. I just find it to be an incredible device that does just about anything. And it's really fast. I really like uh, hectagonal uh, figure eights, right? Like, so when I'm in the desert, my preferred rappel device is the Piranha One. And then when I'm in swift water, I like the wheat, the Petzl wheat, um, just because it doesn't have any hooks or, you know, anything like that. It's got enough settings to, you know, add friction, remove friction, however you want, but it's not like I've seen it happen where people have like one of those fancy, like multi-hook 17 hooked devices <laughs> <laughs> and they go to throw their bag and then the bag snags on the device. Or, you know, it's like yeah. literally a device that is designed to snag things. Um, and also I find that like when I'm in the, uh, in the sandstone, it scratches up the walls. I have so like my critter grabbed the wall before, and that sucks. Yeah, yeah I kind of got stabbed by the critter once, and me and the critter haven't seen eye to eye ever since. But it's a good device. Yeah. I like have nothing against it. It just stabbed me. Right. Yeah. I felt like the pelicola was really grabby when I was stuffing my rope in the bag. Oh yeah. I like the hoodoo. Nice. Yeah, it's a cool thing about canyoneering is that everybody has their preferences and like yeah. we the rigging is designed that everybody can kind of find what they like and what works for them and yeah. go from there. I started with the Piranha one. I haven't used yeah. it for a minute, but I did like that one a lot. 
In yeah, fact, I really like it. My friend was like, you should try this other one. And it was like the critter one. And I was like, I don't know. And I was like really nervous because I was so used to the piranha and I didn't want to change anything up. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a great device. Yeah. I'm sad that they kind of changed it a little bit and like it's not as reliable anymore. Yeah, the, that's like a, a gong show there. The It's like really sad what Petzl did to the piranha. And now it's hard to find the Piranha one, but yeah. I haven't tried the new one. It's like the team or the, I forget what it's called, but I, I do have the pets, the Piranha two, And the, they actually kind of did some cool, like 3d, like the bottom right fin, uh, it has like a, it's like a 3d kind of thumb stop on it. Hmm. It's cool. But then like that obvious, like serrated knife up there on the mouth is right. not. Yeah. Like that's no, not what I want. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. Uh, one of the cool things about the wheat as well, like just any figure of eight, uh, especially the wheat, because it's got like a rectangular small piece, uh, like the small circle is a rectangle. It does like the Italian hitch really well, which is a rope grabbing knot. And so it's really great for like setting up guided repels. Um, hmm. You know, like I really like the multi-use nature of the wheat. Which is a bit straight out of Ika, so I'm a little bit biased, but it's nice, it's fast, it's easy to take down, easy to tension. Um, it has a lot. It's like one of the things that I like is to not carry like a thousand different things into a canyon. I like to have just a few things that do a lot of things. Right. And so I, that's another thing I like about the wheat. But I also other devices do that, but it's just my preference. I like the shape of that one better than like the Black Diamond figure eight. It's like flatter and more square. I don't know. It's yeah. just, I like that one better. Yeah. I think yeah, I love the wheat. Yeah. I mean, as long as you know you and your body and what you're capable of, like if you're yeah. comfortable with your device, then that's what you like to use. Like, yeah. I don't know. People shouldn't shame other people for I mean, like the ATC. People talk a lot of shit about the ATC, right? Because you can't add friction and people have died using it on a long rappel. But I know that the lead person for King County Search and Rescue uses the um, ATC and he has like the beaner blocks on his leg loops so if he needs to he can or not beaner blocks but hair beaners so he can add friction if he needs to and he knows how to add friction and he knows his body and he knows the repels that he does and that's what he's comfortable with so yep. yeah if that's what you're comfortable with do it exactly and I, I think that we just need to make space in in our community for all different styles of safe rigging and safe propelling and right. everybody's going to have personal preferences and yeah i mean the one thing that i had a problem with is like a girl was like show me how like i learned the totem block can you check it for me and i don't yeah. know that so i couldn't check it but i do know the other blocks and i could be like yeah it looks close enough and it's not you know so i could kind of verify but she also didn't really know what she was doing and had to follow some pictures. And I was like, this is kind of scary and weird. But It's like a great way to out yourself is not knowing what you're doing. is not know how to set up your own rappel device. Right. But the rappel we were at was a great place to practice. And it was like she wanted to learn how to rig the block, right? The anchor okay. block. So she was asking for instruction. Yeah. And so it was a great place. It was a low angle, small rappel. And then we had it backed up. So if it did fail, you know, I looked at her pictures and was like, well, it basically looks like the other ones that I know. So we yeah, it, it looks out like and... exactly what it, the picture shows. So, <laughs> But that's the one thing I have is that, yeah, sometimes there's so many ways to rig stuff and then other people don't 
know that way and so they can't check it for you and i feel yep. like that's a very important part of the rigging yeah that's a great point that happened to me once with the like the, the kona ona i forget the like weird looking with like the i forget what it's called but i i hadn't actually seen it before and the client showed it to me and i was like i've never done that one before and so i had to go out and like look it up and like figure it out you know yeah, so those are always fun challenges. Usually I have a backup in my backpack, and I'm like, just use this one that I actually know how to use. Yep, same here. <laughs> so that you don't die. <laughs> yeah, the cane is not an appropriate place to learn technical skills. Practice at home on the staircase, on a tree, little hill. So many yeah, I was actually thinking that might <laughs> be my real favorite piece of, like, equipment is my, like, practice anchors at home where I my practice – to make sure everything's fresh all the time. Yeah. I used you to have an that? awesome tree, but I don't have that anymore. But my husband and I will just sit while we're like watching alone and like practice knots. <laughs> just like keep our skills fresh. It's especially in the winter. Yeah. When you're not using those skills. Yeah. If you don't use them, you'll lose them. Yeah. At the beginning of every season, I like to set up a rope and then ascend past the knot, switch over to descend past the knot. And yeah. do that a couple of times just before I even do anything that season. You know, I usually host a skills day. And because my body's been broken down, I haven't done that. But I usually do that in the spring. So I should look at my calendar and get that scheduled for me. Yeah, actually, I'll be doing that yeah. this summer now that you just reminded me. I'm going to be at the Pacific Northwest Can Canyoneering Rendezvous August like 2nd through 6th. And uh, we're going to doing a lot of swift water canyoning in the mount rainier area awesome the i know that the canyoning rendezvous is like in the pacific I northwest like it's sold out in like so 30 seconds yeah that's yeah, what i heard i mean they're so well organized and they did it really well and it just was like done yeah that's incredible yeah. it was like getting like sold out concert tickets <laughs> to wait till next year yeah i don't know yeah, I really want to get up to that area. I'm going to Arizona. Well, by the time this airs, I'll have be back from Arizona. So nice. That'll be a fun yeah, I'll be in Mallorca. Yeah, I've got a couple weekends of guiding set up in the spring, and then I'll be on my way back to Seattle in the, for the summer. I'll be there for the Fourth of July, and then start moving. That's awesome. I lived in Seattle for a little while. I wish I would have done canyons while I was there. Yeah, I, I mean. Yeah, it's amazing. There's some <laughs> super, it's a, you know, I don't want to blow up their spot, but it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like beyond words how cool the canyons are out there. We had them on the podcast. They talked about them a little bit. Yeah. I can't wait to yeah. get out there. <laughs> so the word's out. For sure. I can't, I can't be blamed. <laughs> Thanks, Jake, Tiffany, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These people. Chris Hagedorn talked a little bit about them too. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, canyoneering makes me super hungry. What is your yeah. favorite in canyon snack? Uh, so I'm going to have to go with uh, traditional Spanish dessert. Um, in Christmas time, they make these things called polvorones. Right? Polvo is like powder, right? So the polvoron is this mixture of like ground almond. So like the almond flour with manteca, which is pork fat. And chocolate. Well, I like the chocolate ones. There's a lot of different kinds. <laughs> and so they come in like, you know, your classic candy 
like sit, fits in your in the palm of your hand and you crush it and it compresses it and then you just eat it. and it's basically like this like fat like basically like pork lard with sugar and almonds and chocolate and it's delicious and like all my friends in Mallorca, they'd always make fun of me they're like who is this guy that's like <laughs> so in in the states we think of like ourselves as gringos but in spain we're gearies right yeah. so i'm like they're like who is this geary that's like bringing polvorones into the canyons but then i start handing them out to people and they're like oh yeah this is awesome and because it's so cold the the fat you really just need like some good energy basically like carbohydrates just like are done right so with fat you like have this like sustained energy nice um so polvorones are, are delicious and because Mallorca's canning season is in the winter, it's like the perfect time to eat them. What other flavors besides chocolate? Like a normal, like vanilla flavor, uh, just a plain flavor, and then chocolate. <laughs> Not a chocolate fan for whatever yeah. reason. There's like a huge, so like the Christmas candy in Spain is like, there's just a huge variety of it. They call it turon. And so they've got like chocolate, they've got like, uh, br like the brittle, like a caramel crisp. Okay. Yeah, and then they've got my favorite is again almond. Mm. Um, Turon blando is like a like ground almond compressed, like a flour compressed with honey and sugar. Mm. And it's like I think it comes so like there's a lot of Arab influence there. I think it comes from like their cuisine, and it's so good. Sounds like those bit of honeys that I ate when I was a little kid. Yeah, it's really good. So yeah, candy, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> Any kind of Spanish <laughs> but, candy. Yeah, but I don't actually, I don't, you know, normally eat candy, but only in canyons. Well, I feel like then it's kind of like you're burning the calories so that you can enjoy the reward. Yeah, and you don't get, you're not cold, right? You're not cold after you eat it. So yeah, sometimes you just eat right some good sugar. Yeah, and fat. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite after canyon beverage? These days, I'm drinking a lot of water. I like to stay hydrated, especially, you know, you're doing it over and over and over again. So a little boring, but I'm a big fan of water. A lot um, of people are big yeah. fans of water. We, I we either drink beer or water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or coffee. Those yeah. Three. Yeah. yeah. I guess, also, I guess like if I had to choose like an alcoholic drink, I'd probably say cava, which is like a Catalonian champagne. Okay. Um, so they actually sell that in the States and it's delicious. And it's usually cheaper than champagne. So hmm. if you see Cava, pick it up. It's delicious. I'll try that sometime. Keep my yeah, the drier, the better. Hard to, in Utah. Utah. <laughs> Hard to get in Utah. Hard to get in Utah. I'm going to go to Arizona for that. Yeah, you're right there. <laughs> That's the best part about living in Canab. Yeah. Is that Fredonia? Yeah. And Colorado City just made a big market too. And they have a great selection. So they might have the Cava there. Oh, nice. Have to check it out. <laughs> anyway, how has canyoneering changed your life? I first started canyoneering like right out of college. It was like 2009. And I was pretty directionless. And it really, like, I remember my first ever propel, first ever canyon was Telephone Canyon in Zion. Wow. And it was just awesome. I mean, it was like me and a group of friends. And I just felt it made me feel like so happy and so accomplished and really present. And so I think one thing it's really forced me to do is really consider things at like a deep level. Is this safe? Is this dangerous? Is this what I want to do? Is this not what I want to do? 
Um, and it's really, it's given me a lot of time in the outdoors. Um, I've traveled the world a little bit and done it. And so it's just always kind of been a part of my life. For me, it's just kind of like this old friend that I like to come back to and, and hang out with. And it's in maybe in a different place, but it's still the same friend. So nice. it's like, yeah, it's like a touchstone, I guess. Like you come back to it and it's the same, but you're different. That's well said. Thank you. All right, do you have any safety advice you'd like to leave our listeners with before we say goodbye? Yeah. I guess I would say you're only as good as the last time you practiced. So set up a practice area in your house or with friends in a gym that you go to anywhere that you can and practice, practice, practice. Before the season starts, practice. Anytime that somebody, there's all these amazing people out there that are offering skill shares or um, different courses. Like there's so many good courses. I mean, that are being taught right now in, in the States. And go to those courses, practice, practice, practice. Like there's no, the, the, there's no piece of equipment that can get you out of a problem that you can't reason yourself out of. I like that a lot too. Yeah, I practice often because I can't get out there. <laughs> yeah. You're like super practiced. You gotta keep them fresh. <laughs> yeah, I set up, so I think a nice thing that I found for me is I like my practice station, I painted it bright red. Oh, so nice. every time I walk past it, it's like, this Come is to me. Come practice. Well, it's like, <laughs> it's a reminder that the things that we do, if we do them wrong are dangerous. Oh yeah. And so it's like, it's like a Have big reminder for me to safe. be well practiced and be well and be ready to do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause sometimes our goals are bigger than our, then what we're willing, the commitment we're willing to put into it. So if we're not willing to commit to our goal, then maybe we, our goal needs to be a little bit lower. And so if you're not willing to practice and get and be ready to be that person, when that moment happens, then you yeah. need to like ask yourself, like yeah, why, really why do I want to do this? Yeah. Yeah. Am I ready to do this? Right. Because that's one of the things I love about canyoneering is it's a committing sport. You know, it's not like rock climbing where you can just rappel down to the ground, usually. Right. Right. No. Once you pulled that first rope, you're committed until the end. Yeah. And there's not, I don't think that there's a huge number of people that are canyoneering like every month. You know what I mean? So like, especially how it's so, such a seasonal sport in a lot of places or like a vacation sport. Yeah. I think it's the value of practice and just reinforcing those skills is, yeah. Especially if you're out there, you're taking on the leadership role. You know, you need to be well-practiced. And then also one thing that really weighs heavily on me is don't be afraid to wait. Right? If yeah. you get yourself in a situation right. 100%. or the world gets you in a situation right. where you can't <laughs> safely recover your rope, like yeah. wait. check your ego, check yeah. your... Your schedule you know. doesn't matter at that point. You can wait 20, 30 hour, two hours till that group that passed you passed. Yeah. Till they get there. Yeah, because there's so many people like that really, yeah, you know, like they they want you to wait. It's such a safe sport until it's not. Yeah, and if she would have waited, we would be able to yeah. hug her right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I agree, and I'm sending yeah. you a big hug right now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like I know some really incredibly talented people that have gotten stuck in a canyon. I myself have spent the night uh, on the exit of N No Man's Canyon in 
the roost, you know, mm-hmm. I got lost and that's okay. Like yeah. there's no shame in waiting. There's no shame in getting rescue. Yeah. No matter I, who you are. I spent the night across the river from the exit of Rock Canyon one time because I was an idiot. And thank God I worked for Tom at that time because when I called him at noon and was like, I'm not going to make it in today, I had to bivy in the canyon last night. Like, he understood what I was talking about. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Waiting at least lets you still be here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what emotion I feel. Like, I feel a lot of, like, uh, you know, like, I, I, I don't really know what I feel, but... I just want people to know that there's no shame in, in waiting. Right. Right. There's no shame in rescue. We all make mistakes. And also like if the Canyon conditions aren't ideal, it's okay to not do that Canyon that day. Like, wait, (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. A lot of people might not know, but um, there's Perea Canyon and Buckskin that run through this area. And we've had so much rain this year, but a party of three went in and one guy made it out. He called for search and rescue. When they went in looking for the other two people, they found 10 other people that they didn't know about in the canyon. And they were able to save them, but the two other guys were deceased because when it's raining and people don't give Mother Nature the respect that it needs, um, yeah. like those things happen. And then search and rescue has to put their life on the line to... Yeah find these people and then have the shock and horror that (laughs) they get. And then those people are just not here anymore. And it's sad. So yeah, it's okay to change your plans. If Canyon conditions are not ideal, it's okay to just hike that day. Yeah. We call them Netflix adventure days. Yeah. I've taken my gear on hikes a lot. I feel like your gear appreciates you more if you just take it on a hike and you're like, you know, it's not the time this time, buddy, but next time we're going to go out. It's like, yeah, got your back. Respect yeah. you a little bit. So. Cool. Well said. Yeah, yeah you too, actually. <laughs> I hate to end on a somber note. Can you well, tell then, me like a fun adventure story or something? Yeah, so <laughs> my favorite all-time Zion Canyoneering experience was doing full Emily with Cassie. It was an incredible day. We woke up at like 3 o'clock in the morning. And we just rocked it all day. It was me and Cassie and, and uh, two other people, Kaylin, and I think his name is Adam. And it was just an awesome day. It was like low-ish water with like beautiful pothole escapes. The water smelled terrible. Nice. Uh, like the crash, the trash compactor like corridor was like in full effect. Oh. Like the whole, it was just it's the best <laughs> day ever. It's, and then we repelled into the into the narrows at just as like it got dark and um so it's in my mind that will always be my the best day of canyoning of my life that's awesome i exited emily one time when it was like sun setting and there was bats like getting the bugs on the top of the water and it was so epic yeah i wasn't with cassie but it was still cool yeah Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time, Sam. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, well, the best way is just give me an email, sam at wildskyguides.com um, or 206-905-9385. Um, but I prefer email. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you can find me on socials on Instagram, Facebook, plan maybe to do some YouTube. But yeah, I'd like to 
be in touch with people. And uh, anybody who does Canyon in the Washington area, I'm trying to put together like a resource for people to know what to bring when they come. For the right? roundup. So yeah, not just the roundup, just visiting Canyoneers. Like yeah. sometimes it's hard to know what exactly you need to bring. And it's hard to get mm -hmm. some of that gear in Seattle. That's so, true. in Washington. So anybody who idea. has any ideas, shoot me an email and I'll include it and with credit in the blog. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. The canyons are calling. Yeah. I should probably go. Okay. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Sam. If you have an idea for the show, please reach out to me like he did at the canyons are calling at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Instagram. I'll have links to both of those in the show. There's also thecanyonsarecalling.com where you can purchase beer glasses and stickers and dog tug toys and little rope practicing things to practice knots and stuff. Keep you efficient. You can never practice too much. I guess if you're practicing the wrong way, then you can practice too much, but you can never practice the correct methods, the right, you know, too much. If you don't use those skills, you lose them. <laughs> if you enjoy the show, please reach out to me and just give me some kind suggestions. Rate it on Spotify or Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, like I said, I've kind of been in the dumps lately because <laughs> I'm not physically able to do this stuff. So I am healing. I am getting better. But just reach out and let me know that you like the show. That will help me get motivated to just get more content out there because it's kind of a struggle when I can't do the canyons to talk about them. So just being real, being raw, being honest, uh, that's what's going on. Also, if you enjoyed the show and would like to financially support it, you can do so on Patreon. That's just a secure platform where you can support creators like me. I have tiers anywhere from $2 to $20 a month. And with that, you get the sticker or a beer glass, whatever goes along with that tier. You can also just make a one-time donation either through the Patreon, through PayPal, or also through Venmo. And I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Uh, with the Patreon calls or Patreon supporters, you get a monthly canyon call. And so on the first Wednesday of every month, we sit and talk canyons. And that has helped me through this hard time a lot. We just talk about um, so many different things. Sometimes I get guests on. We talk about like their businesses or the places where they're canyoning. Um, sometimes we just chat about life. It's you know, awesome. It's a great way to just get to know the canyoneering community and the people that support the show because I honestly would not want to or be able to do this podcast without them. So I really appreciate it. So enough of me babbling. The canyons are calling. I'm going to get out there soon.